you just have to convince two guys. <laughs> you cool? Yeah, I'm cool. You cool? Cool. And then they set off a nuclear bomb. Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. Tonight, we are joined by tremendous writer Alex Alvarez, uh, who is distinguished in my mind by being the funniest person in my Twitter feed at any given time for many years now. Um, But Alex has great writing, good film takes, and was one of the first people that popped into my head, and we decided to do this show. So, Alex, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Those are such nice things. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) We also have... Bethy Squires. Yeah, who's also on your Twitter feed sometimes. Bethy, yeah, yeah. Wow. Bethy, Bethy wow. also also top of the Twitter feed. And I'm Thomas. I don't think I always say my name at the top of the podcast. <laughs> I, I, I like being just sort of like a, a faceless, nameless, omniscient narrator. But uh, yeah, no, I'm Thomas. Just a ghost that haunts the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's... That's cool. I, I was telling Alex and Bethy before we got on that I slept so little last night that that, uh, in conversation with the margarita I'm drinking, is going to make for the right kind of barroom vibe tonight, I think. I do like the idea of you being the phantom of the podcast. <laughs> Just comes in and, and demands uh, certain people to get solos. I haven't seen Phantom of the Opera, so I don't really know what happens in it, but... You've seen Phantom of the Paradise, right? No, I still haven't seen Phantom of the Paradise. Oh. I know. I've seen cuts of it on Racer Trash, but I've never seen the movie itself. I feel like, I mean, I don't want to hype, I feel like when, you know, when you hype up something like that, then people watch and they're like, okay, well, I was expecting everything and it gave me nothing. But like, it's, it's really good. I don't want, I don't, I won't hype it up till your expectations aren't like here. Just keep them like here and then it'll probably be above here. But anyway, it's definitely worth a watch. We we know we've got a, a a new a new and true friend of the podcast when they're fan of the Paradise fan, even though Bethy has not, has not seen it. I trust that it is a future favorite of yours, Bethy, based on my knowing your sensibilities. I have a feeling it's very much in my wheelhouse, but it just uh, hasn't come to me yet. Yeah, I mean, I envy that you get to see it for the first time. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, it's <laughs> yeah. it's going to be great. Bethy, ask me if um, Phantom of the Paradise uh, is a movie that you will like. Hey, Thomas, do you think that Phantom of the Paradise is a movie that I'd like? Does a hobby horse have a wooden dick? Oh. (laughs) There we are. And now we're in Roadhouse. We did it. Now we're in Roadhouse. So tonight uh, we will be talking about perennial Hollywood classic uh, Roadhouse, which is a movie that I love now um after revisiting it for the pod um and alex this was your choice what what made you pick roadhouse well i mean it centers on a bar so i thought it would be perfect just in that sense just like structurally um it also is i think not maybe maybe not underappreciated but i think like misunderstood um i think a lot of people think of it as like a so bad it's good movie but it's really just a good movie I think. I don't think it's, like, funny or... I mean, it's kind of kitschy and campy in a certain way, but it is also, like, a very competent film with, like, really interesting 
ideas, and I don't know. I, I think it's really good. I think it's legitimately very good. Yeah, people um, talk about this movie as if the movie doesn't know that it's silly. Yeah. And that just is like a fundamental misunderstanding of the movie. Like, no, yeah. it, it knows it's silly. It It's being a little stinker and it knows it and it's all, <laughs> it loves it. Yeah, it's having fun. I, I do think there is a long discursive tradition of people thinking they're smarter than the movies they're watching. Um, no one's smarter than Roadhouse. No, just... <laughs> no one's smarter than Roadhouse, but also like, you're telling me that a movie directed by a man named Rowdy Harrington called Roadhouse starring Patrick Swayze as a nationally renowned bouncer uh, <laughs> is not aware that it's inherently silly. I think I think Roadhouse has incredible world building, all of which is kind of like fun and colorful. But it's I, I agree with Alex. It's a it's a well-made, really entertaining movie. Um, and I'm also excited to hear more of your thoughts because we haven't talked about it before. So I don't totally know what your angle is on this movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm I where would do we want like kind of like a, a synopsis like where do we want to start with this there's just like so much i just don't i don't even know where to begin i guess first i'd like to ask what your experience of watching movies in bars has been like uh do you have like a favorite bar to watch movies in or do you prefer to watch like movies in the theater and then talk about them afterward i bar? yeah i like i like talking in bars like i'm a really big fan of like a bar where the music isn't too loud i feel like that's like my number one pet peeve is like not being able to like have a conversation <laughs> yeah. um so i'm really a fan of like the post movie bar session um i think the last movie that was playing at a bar was like a few months ago i mean i guess a few years ago at this point fried my brain it would be a few years ago at this point um i was at cha-cha with a few friends and they were playing troll 2 at the bar like on a projection screen oh great and nobody wanted to watch it everyone just wanted to like keep on like like nobody wanted to stop and like give their attention to this and i was like you know i I feel like you guys are really like a funny part's coming up and everyone was just like you know what that's not what we're here for so i think that that's kind of like the um challenge of watching a movie in a bar is like there's so many things vying for your attention um, and I tend to want to, like, really hyper-focus if I'm watching something or just, like, not focus at all. So I'm either, like, on my phone or it has, like, my full undivided attention. So, yeah. I guess the last movie I saw in the bar was Troll 2, to answer your question. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a big, big Troll 2 fan. I also am, am glad we're getting a cha-cha shout-out because that is a bar that I miss desperately. And it was the last bar I went to before everything shut down. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love I love the post movie going bar conversation. I one of uh, Bethy and I had a dear friend named Jossie who is going to be on the pod soon. Um, but uh, she and I saw Mother. <laughs> we went to like a ten p.m. showing of Mother, and then went to. Oh, I thought you were going to say like at a bar, and I was like, I, j- I just oh, don't no. know if I if I think that's a bar movie. <laughs> no, I think it is categorically not. But no, we went so we went to see Mother, and then we went to Good Luck Bar, Rest in Peace, at like midnight. And just like talked at each other about mother for two hours. I was like, "This is a sacred social tradition. I can't. I can't wait to do this again." But there, there. So there are three kind of criteria we talk about when we talk about titles that fit this show. And ultimately, any movie is is a good fit for watching movies at the bar. But we talk about things that play well on a bar TV, um, things that prominently feature a bar, and then also movies that you just gush about after having a drink or two and i think roadhouse is maybe the first movie we've talked about that really satisfies all three bethy would you would you agree 
It's definitely a three for. I don't know if it's the first three for we've done, but it does hit. It's a triple threat. It definitely hits all of the categories. Yeah, I think it's it's hard not to have an opinion on it. You know what I mean? Like even if you don't like it for whatever reason, you're you're going to you're not going to be bored watching it. I think. <laughs> That's for it's, sure. It's it's uh, yeah. It's it's. I, I can't imagine being bored watching Roadhouse. Um, should. Should I do a very brief background on Roadhouse, Bethy, before we, before it, we yeah. get into it? So this is going to be more spare than usual. Um, Roadhouse came out in 1988. It was directed by, a, again, a man named Rowdy Harrington. I have never seen another Rowdy Harrington joint, but the movie he made before this was a James Spader movie that came out a year before Sex Lies, and I'm an avowed Spader head, so I, I, I got to see that one. He was nominated for a Razzie for Worst Director for this movie. And, like, not not that the Razzies are an integrous cultural force, but how <laughs> fucking joyless and boring do you have to be to watch Roadhouse and think that's bad instead of that rocks or, at the very yeah. least, it's dynamic? Like this movie had five Razzie nominations in total, I believe. And I just... That's why I, I feel like it's a really misunderstood movie. You know, like, there's no way that... I mean, there's nothing... I don't know. I thought Rowdy did a great job. Yeah. I'm proud of Rowdy. And I'm excited, I'm excited too, when we really get into this, to talk about what what is working against Roadhouse and what tees people up for thinking they're watching something different than the movie they're watching. Because I feel like if you take it at face value, it's sort of undeniable, even if it's not your thing. But I could be wrong. I, I love to be wrong. <laughs> so when the movie came out, Aside from the Razzies, with few exceptions, the critical reception was pretty scathing. I mean, Ebert mostly got it. Ebert thought it was really funny. He, he, you know, talked about how viewers with a varying capacity for irony may really enjoy Roadhouse. I don't, I don't personally think that this is an irony watch, but he approached it more thoughtfully, I think, than a lot of critics. But yeah, no, Roadhouse is a movie that was fundamentally unappreciated, didn't sell a lot of tickets, but now a lot of people love. Um... And Alex tonight is carrying the torch. And do you want to do you want to tell the listeners what Roadhouse is about if they haven't seen it before? Sure. Um, so it is about a famous cooler um, who is somehow like nationally renowned in like the bar circuit, um, who takes a job in Jasper, Missouri, um, at the Double Deuce Bar to clean it up. This town is like completely. Um, just like infested with this like bad element. There's like like open drug use. People are constantly fighting at the double deuce. Um, so he's there to kind of clean it up and ends up finding love and saving the town along the way, which I just, it's a magical story. I think it's literally mythical. Like there's a very mythical <laughs> element to it, um, which I'll get to in a moment, but yeah. It does. It has almost like a, a wandering samurai energy. Oh, yeah. Like it, it could be like a a Yojimbo sequels. Like Swayze comes into town, is enigmatic. People get mad at him for not for his like non reactions. Then then he shows off his prowess. Uh, you know, as, as with most uh like wandering uh Ronin movies, there's like a corrupt town. Like there's like a greedy crime boss. And then by the end of it, you know, the greedy crime boss is going to be dead. And usually the guy is going to be moving on, but it seems like maybe he's, uh, by the end of this movie, it seems like maybe Swayze has put down roots and has decided that it's worth staying somewhere. For yeah. The new time. sheriff has become the new mayor. 
Bethy, you, you had never seen Roadhouse before, and I know that you said that you you tried a few times and you were excited that this was, you know, the nudge that would finally get you over the line. What did you think of it? I had a great time. It's a very, it, it is a silly movie, and I think it does know that it's silly. It's aware that this is not, it knows that it's a fantasy world or like a myth, that it's not portraying the world as it is. Uh, because... The Double Deuce is the most crowded bar I've seen in my entire life. It's giant and it's full every night. Despite the fact that the town of Jasper, Missouri is population, I think, five old men (laughs) who don't go to that bar. Yeah, the old men don't visit this bar. I think even after it's cleaned up, it's just like almost like, I mean, I knew I was going to get into this eventually, but there is kind of like a Twin Peaks quality to this movie where it does feel Mm -hmm. like several Mm -hmm. worlds layered on top of each other. Um, And the world of the Double Deuce feels so separate from like the world of like the old man who owns a horse farm where um, where um, Dalton stays. Those and but they're in the same town, but it, like that old man would never visit the double deuce, and the double deuce would never like its evil would never encroach onto his horse <laughs> farm until it does. You know what I mean? Alex, I'm so excited that you're mentioning Twin Peaks because uh, some of your writing that has most hooked me is your your writing and your general commentary on Twin Peaks and David Lynch. And when I was watching this, uh, I I started to have that feeling as well. It has a Twin Peaks quality. I think t- Twin Peaks is no less sort of heightened and silly in in the way that Roadhouse is heightened and silly. They obviously have their own kind of peculiar texture, but there is... Yeah, I think they they share a really similar, um, like, comedic sensibility. Like, I think a lot of, um, a lot of, like, the kind of folksy sayings that come out of nowhere with kind of, like, no context felt very Twin Peaks to me. Like, the, the, does a hobby horse have a wooden dick? Like, (laughs) you could totally see a character on Twin Peaks saying that. Yeah, and I think when when Mark Frost and and David Lynch are at the helm, people just sort of give it the benefit of the doubt. They're like, "Oh, these are these are smart guys with a proven track record." But for whatever reason, with Roadhouse, people don't necessarily give it that credit, um, and and that's interesting to me. I wonder if it has something to do with like you know, Twin Peaks is sending up a certain type of Americana. It's uh, looking at certain types of masculinity especially but other times from there's more gender balance in twin peaks there's also some certain examining of like feminine archetypes too but like different kinds of dudes are being examined and slightly mocked in twin peaks and in roadhouse and i wonder whether the type of dude that roadhouse is like kind of making fun of is just not um able to laugh at themselves yeah that I was, when I was watching and rewatching, I really found myself asking, like, whose gaze is this for? Because there are, like, a, a lot of lingering shots on, like, Patrick Swayze's body. There's, like, this one, like, really muscle-bound henchman um, that the camera, again, like, kind of lingers on. And it feels, um, like, it's, like, really exploring these men as, like, objects. And it really made me wonder, like, did the audience, like, maybe not like that? Did they not appreciate that? Like... It was such an interesting choice to me that seemed like so at odds with the kind of like throat ripping action that was going on too that it, it was just like it really kind of made me think like huh like I wonder I wonder who's watching this and what they're thinking you know what I mean yeah like Sam Elliott shows Bush and he movie. does and what a moment <laughs> he does indeed 
And that needs, I think maybe there's some guys who are excited to see some punches and then saw multiple men be fully nude or show a little bush, show a little neck and were troubled by that, by not being centered. Yeah, it was a really interesting choice. I think especially like there was one scene where um, it's like a sex scene in like a storeroom and the man is fully nude and the woman is not. And it's very rare to see that, I think, especially like late 80s action movies that it really that really made me think like huh this is a very this feels like a really deliberate choice and it feels like a really interesting choice and i really wonder what audiences at the time felt about it it's just not like there aren't boobs later yeah there's lots of boobs but i i I agree alex that's really interesting and when i was watching that scene i don't think i was able to articulate it in the way that you did but the the composition and sort of the ratios of nudity were not quite what i expected his body is much more sexualized than hers and, and and anything um, she she is like largely obscured in that scene. It is yeah, it is it is a movie that very much sexualizes the male figure, and that's in almost every scene. Even you know when Patrick Swayze is fully clothed, standing at the bar, he is just sort of this sex symbol. Yeah, it, it it's really um, it's a really interesting portrayal of masculinity because it is a really like muscly movie, and it doesn't like it's not like it's trying to um, you know, downplay any kind of like action or violence or kind of like the, the stuff that we kind of um normally associate with action movies of that time period but it is also like let's men be really sexy which i thought is like feels very different it felt kind of almost radical i think it was interesting because it's like so i think sometimes the bodies are definitely sexualized and i agree that a lot of, like a lot of the time when swayze is just standing there or like when he's getting um his staples like, there are moments like that that are definitely, like, gazy. But I, I wouldn't even necessarily call that sex scene sexual. I think he's nude just to humiliate him. It's more more like a to show the power imbalance, that the new guy is in town and he's got clothes and you don't have clothes now. Ha ha. That is, yeah, that, I, I definitely think that's a valid reading because that is, it, and it comes, like, right at the beginning of the, like, near the beginning of the movie. So it's really, mm-hmm. you see just, Full ass, which is, like, not... I don't even think you're expecting it in that moment, you know? Craving it. Craving <laughs> it. Yes. Expecting <laughs> it. No. I, I was happy about that. And it's it sort of fits in, I think, in the way that, yeah, the movie shows a lot more of the male body, but it also... Like, the male body is almost like a subplot of the movie because there's so much fighting that these, like, professional coolers are taking so much damage and, like... Swayze is, like, told at one point, you are going to be disabled when you're older if you don't slow down. And he's like, yeah, probably. And, like, the whole pain don't hurt and the way that uh, all the stunts are so we physical. We past pain don't hurt. <laughs> Oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not breezing through that. This is more, um, more me thinking about, like, the, the male body is what the movie is about. I about agree, About yeah. what it can do for pleasure and pain. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. Uh, you brought up the Staples scene. So there's like a scene where he gets like really badly beat up. He goes to the local hospital, meets Kelly Lynch as the doctor, um, and she applies Staples without anesthetic because he's because pain don't hurt number one. But also, <laughs> many such of my patients would disagree with you. <laughs> that was such an interesting scene because it, it is like, I mean, it's not like she's like penetrating him but she's really in control and she's like literally stapling him together like she's in total control and he's just like not even flinching it's that's another like really 
interesting scene. You're just kind of like, huh? Like, I, I really wonder what the screenwriter was thinking. Like, I wonder, like, it, it's just, like, not, like, a scene you usually see. Do you know what I mean? Like, with a female doctor kind mm-hmm. of, like, in control and this guy, like, at kind of her mercy, but, like, not flinching. Like, he's not in pain because pain don't hurt. Like, I don't know. It was just, it was really... I wish I could, I wish I knew where it was going, but it was just, like, an interesting scene on its own, even without me, like, kind of, like, trying to psychoanalyze it. I, I couldn't agree more, and I don't, I don't want to sound like, you know, one of the characters in Crash, but there is uh, almost an eroticization of the Dalton's wounds. I think anytime he's wounded, there is something very sort of, like, visceral and sexual about it. Like, even when he is stabbed um, during his introductory scene and he's stitching himself up, I think that's... There is something less about, like, oh, look at this terrible wound um, that he endured. There is just a way that he uh, unflinchingly experiences pain and just sort of uh, stitches himself up in an understated way that that feels uh, kind of strangely sexy to me. But Yeah, scars and wounds play a really big role in this movie now that I think about it. And, like, the tall henchman gets knocked the fuck out by Ben Gazzara because he can't take a punch. He's a bleeder. Like, he's a bleeder. <laughs> like, you you do not, like, silently suffer pain, and that is to be punished in the world of Roadhouse. Right. I, I also think that the line you're referencing there, that he's a bleeder, that he bleeds too much, is one of a hundred really iconic lines in Roadhouse. There is <laughs> There is a very unique quality to the dialogue so much of it feels iconic and you can you can you know read it as being like purely silly but it also is unique i don't think there are a lot of movies that sound like roadhouse yeah i think it's 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 weird but it really works and it doesn't feel like it's um like untethered to what these characters would do they just feel like weird characters in like a weird town that kind of like feels outside of reality a little bit so it's like yeah, of course somebody would call somebody a bleeder and then, like, punch him in the face repeatedly. Like, he would do that, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes a lot of a lot of the criticism of Roadhouse is sort of that, like, this world doesn't really make sense. And, you know, why would this, this bouncer be called to rural America? Why would he have this renown? But it's almost like a... Twin Peaks is a good comp, but it's almost like a John Wick thing, right? Where there is just sort of a, a different world that prioritizes different things and institutions and coolers for whatever reason are just known the world over. Like, people know Dalton. They know Wade Garrett. When they see him and find out he's Dalton, the response is, oh, I've heard of you. And everyone in the bar is saying, oh, that's Dalton. And like, yeah, that you know, that doesn't happen in the world that we live in, but this is just the world of Roadhouse. This is the fantasy that they've created. Yeah, he seems like a folk hero, and it seems like a folk tale. Like, it really does seem like a legend that we're being told, and kind of, like, details get fudged along the the way. I, I had, like, no problem diving into this world, because it, it does feel like it does not exist in our reality, but I had no trouble buying its reality. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I Bethy, I like your comp to uh, the, the lone samurai picture. For me, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is just a very colorful western <laughs> that's sort of strangely relocated i mean missouri was the west at one point so Hell yeah. it makes sense i have questions about at one point he says i'm a cooler and these are my bouncers which made me think that a bouncer and a cooler are not the same thing i had i had yeah is, i looked this up 
Is it like Pokemon that like a, a bouncer evolves into a cooler, like a Pikachu evolves into a Raichu? So he, yeah, he's like the next step in the evolution of a bouncer. And I think it's because, okay. um, as you mentioned, at one point he was like a philosophy student at NYU. Which is um, so, so amazing. Just perfect. It's just the perfect detail. <laughs> um, so his job is literally to cool things down. Whereas a bouncer just kind of kicks you out. Like if you're if you're making a fuss, if you're making a ruckus of double deuce, these guys will kick you out. A cooler tries to like neutralize the situation. Because like in the movie, the cooler, the cooler's job is just to like bring the vibe down while people are gambling. If people are like on too hot of a streak, he's like a bad luck charm. And his presence somehow makes gambling less fun and makes people who are, like, winning want to leave the casino. <laughs> I think Dalton hopes to do something entirely different. He just wants to be nice. He just wants the room to have a good vibe. Yeah, it's one of his rules. Be nice. I, I, I love when he says be nice repeatedly. That is that is so unexpected. People are always quoting the rules of Fight Club. We should be quoting the rules of Roadhouse. I read also, and I don't know if this is true, but it was on the Wikipedia page, uh, so it must be, that um, the NYPD used that scene where he's explaining his rules to teach, like, the police force how to de-escalate situations, which seems like it didn't work, number one. Also, it's just like, what what an interesting takeaway from this movie is, like, these uh, rules, which I also, like, think it's interesting that at no point after the rules are shared are they ever followed in the movie. Not in the slightest. Yes. People are constantly fighting still in the bar. You're supposed to take it outside. Yeah, that's, like, one of three rules. It's not, you know, it's... <laughs> what, what, I, what I will say, though, to, to defend Dalton and, and his sort of cooler orthodoxy is that uh, anytime that the fight does break out in the bar, it's already happened. There's already someone, you know, who's, who's flinging shit or for some reason stabbing someone. This is a real knife movie. The boot this knife movie loves knives. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's interesting actually to think about the NYPD training their force with Dalton's rules because that's a that's a that's a better world. That's better policing if you follow Dalton's policies. I think if you look at the sort of previous bouncers, they were very violent. It didn't actually get anything done. Whereas Dalton, being a nice guy, he cleans things up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, be nice. Go outside. You know. <laughs> be nice. Breathe fresh air. Yeah. Yeah, I have worked security at like an all ages club before, and so there it's not dissimilar to also when I was a playground monitor at elementary school. <laughs> it's still the same thing of like you just want to diffuse the thing before it becomes a thing. Like being part of being nice is like being proactively involved in the scene, and like before things really kick off. Your job is to, like, help get somebody distance when you can see that they're getting angry before they actually strike someone, which is, like, I think the one thing, the one thing I would knock Dalton for in his cooling <laughs> is that he gets involved so late in a lot of situations. He's a real like, wait-and-see kind of guy a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> real wait-and-see kind of guy. I love Dalton wait- waiting and seeing, though. There's something so magnetic about Swayze's performance when he's just leaning against a pillar or a bar and soaking it up with that steely look. He's really good at leaning in this movie. It's like a lot of really good leaning. He's so good at leaning. Yeah, Alex, normally when we do this, Bethany and I lead the conversation a little bit more, but I'm I'm excited to hear your thoughts on Roadhouse. And so I wonder, 
Where would you start this conversation if you just sort of had free reign to talk about this movie? What is kind of most exciting to you? Um, well, let's see. I think the we kind of already touched upon this film's relationship to bodies and wounds and just like um, the idea of like bodies deteriorating is like weirdly poignant for a movie that is so action-based. Like the fact that we're reminded that this character his body is literally failing him. He's, like, collecting scars, like, the more uh, jobs he takes. I thought that was um, really interesting, a really interesting wrinkle in this movie. Um, And he's so tired, you know? He doesn't have a limitless energy reserve. It's like uh, Wade, Sam Elliott's character, says, you know, he starts strong, but the the stamina's not there. Dalton's real sleepy when they're at the diner the following morning. Wade, Wade walks with a limp that's never addressed, but... He and and the way he fights is so much. Um, he has a much tighter like defensive stance that I that I also really noticed. It's like, wow, Sam Elliott gets real small in a fight. That's interesting. <laughs> What's going on there? Yeah, yeah, and I think like you know, there's even a point where Sam Elliott's character also like shows this like massive scar he got. It, it's just lots of that. I think also a really interesting thing about this movie is. If there was one thing I could change about it, I would remove the love interest. I don't think having a love interest in this movie really added anything important. And I think it kind of would have been stronger um, if they had kind of explored uh, Dalton and his mentor's relationship to each other a little bit more. Because I think that was like kind of enough motivation for him to kind of fight and want to save this town and want to kind of like avenge this guy he cared about so much. I kind of thought the romantic aspect was really, it felt very tacked on to me. It was interesting, I also actually read that um, before Kelly Lynch was cast, they had wanted Annette Bening for this role. Oh my god. But she and Swayze didn't have chemistry, which I actually, like, just can't imagine. Like, I think they're both really good. Um, So chemistry was, like, very important to them. You know what I mean? That these two romantic leads had, like, a good, which I actually did not think they had good chemistry. I just, I don't know. It just didn't work for me that was the only aspect of the movie that i thought was like huh i don't know about this i am with you i i also think that on a storytelling level her her role is just not essential because ultimately she like ties him to wesley in a way where wesley was interested in her and that creates more conflict with dalton but dalton's already fucking up his shakedown of all of the businesses in town like it's just it's not it's it's not a necessary addition i the one thing that she gives me in this movie is that he has picked something that isn't his job to care about that's interesting yeah and that helps a little bit to for, to root for him a little bit more because he, he doesn't seem to have like wants or desires outside of getting paid for the work that he's doing and it's not clear why he wants to get paid for the work that he's doing either so having like one human emotion that one can like the one non philosophical like drive I found helpful for me to sort of like anchor myself in the story. If I could get rid of one thing, it would be all of the electric blues. Oh, <laughs> I love the electric blues. I love Jeff Healy. I think it's so interesting that he's in this movie in a speaking role and does his lap guitar. I just all all of that to me is like what a unique choice. 
And he also knew about Dalton from before. He had, they had, they they, 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 they done, yeah, they had like done kind of like a circuit before, like a bar circuit together. I love it. Yeah, Dalton has his tape and then the same song is playing when he goes inside. Like the music goes from diegetic in the car to non-diegetic walking into the bar to diegetic again being played inside of the bar. Yeah. That. I was I flipped at that. <laughs> I love his moment with Jeff Healy where he sees him and they give each other a big hug. I like I really buy that affection between them and it's like mm-hmm. it, it is silly but like this is the world. Like all of these guys kind of know and love each other and there are these sort of like virtuous principled you know people who serve, you know, various functions at bars and they're just trying to clean it up and get rid of the assholes like who's that big meaty guy who dalton fires on this first night there oh yeah oh with the hair yeah. with the bushy hair yeah and he's like what am i supposed to do now dalton and he's like well there's always barber school another great line <laughs> so great i do want to talk a little bit about the guy who hires dalton frank frank tillman tillman with a gh it's t-i-l-g-h i I was getting such weird vibes off of that guy. Like, I know that for for the audience, he was a guy who starred in the TV show Emergency like a decade before this movie came out. So it's like, in this, if this was happening now, it would be like having, I don't know, Matt LeBlanc in the role. It's somebody that it was like, oh, that's my friend from TV. I'm not disquieted by the way he's always smiling. He has like weird <laughs> pervert energy. Uh, uh, what I wrote down is that he has Courage the Cowardly Dog villain energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was a really... And he's, I think, the first character... I mean, the first thing we see is a woman's leg and backside because it's 1989. But then he's the first character I think we see at all, right? He's getting yeah. out of his like limo, his airport limo. <laughs> yeah. Which is another great detail. Just straight from the airport to this bar to <laughs> hire a cooler. His performance is so funny, though. There's just something about his physicality and, and the confidence with which he enters the bar. And then the more you learn about him, the more you realize he's not, you know, he's not he's not a particularly well-known guy. You know, he's he's an affluent bar owner in, in rural Missouri. But he walks into that bar like he owns the place. I, I would say I know him as Sawyer's dad in Lost. That was my that was my introduction Whoa. to my man. I've never seen Lost. Sawyer's dad's oh, wow. bad, right? He's yeah, right. yeah. I mean, so, so Sawyer's dad is a con man, and all of his sort of worst tendencies trickle down to his son, and so his his arc is about unlearning all the bad dad stuff. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, from because I I haven't seen Lost, so is his vibe on Lost like more kind of in tune? And I like I I don't want to say that this actor has like a villainous face, but he does have like this energy that's like, hmm, he's thinking something that he's not saying. It's kind of like what his face reads, you know? Yeah, it's 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 his performance is almost a misdirect. The way he is introduced, you think that as you get further into the movie, that he's gotta have some weird deal with Brad Wesley, that they've gotta be in cahoots, that there's gonna be some sort of twist, because he's just got this weird sort of shit eating vibe. But he's like He's like a pretty one-note character. He doesn't really want anything more than for his bar to succeed and to get Brad Wesley off his back. Yeah, and he's not really enmeshed with the rest of the town the way some of the other characters are. He's just kind of exists at the Double Deuce, and that's pretty much it. Does he live at the Double Deuce? <laughs> he might. I don't know. 
I'm sure he has an apartment nearby, like, in that one intersection of town. Because the town of Jasper, Missouri seems to be a barn that was turned into a bar. And then right next to it, a different bar that was turned barn that was turned into a hardware store. And then there's a lone intersection with a diner and a hospital and then, like, farmland surrounding that. And a pretty big hospital for the town, which is, like, another very <laughs> Twin <hospital>. Peaks move. <laughs> very Twin Peaks, yeah. If you actually, so if you if you go to watchingmoviesatthebar.com, Bethy has actually sketched out a map of the town <laughs> to help you better understand the geography, um, which does a, a lot to enhance the, the themes that we're discussing. And also a barn that it's turned into a really nice kind of like Airbnb situation. Gorgeous loft in that barn. It, it really was. It's amazing. I, I actually will say the reason that I like Doc in the movie and the romance is just because their scene there is so silly. I love their having sex at the barn and sitting on the roof. And then you've got weird ass Brad Wesley watching them from across the river. And they proceed to have sex on the roof again. It's like, oh, this is... This is just sort of ticking a box. But also, the only scene in the movie where I think the blocking is 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 not very good and maybe deserving of a little bit of, you know, laughing is when they're preparing to have sex and she's sort of backing up through the room and he's following her. It's 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 I don't really understand the motivation for any of the ways that they're moving in that scene. The the sex scene choreography is also interesting. Uh <laughs> she she's up against hard like jagged rocks yeah and he is doing some hip stuff to i think it's again part of uh, the the body is the movie and it's important that you know that dalton has moves that he's got like sex moves and so yeah. he's doing he's doing the old like scraping the sides of the mustard jar move as it were <laughs> um and and then and then they they go to the bed after she gets like some abrasions on her back. Yeah. And then yeah, and then he just has like a nude smoke on the roof like you do. Right. Yeah, that it is really a weird scene. He does kind of she does seem like to be backing away from him throughout like their kind of like flirtatious but not foreplay situation and then yeah, it does there is like all the the rock, the one rock wall in the entire room. So it's like, could have just picked. A wooden barn could not be more of a barn. And yet there is a wooden, there's a stone back, like, accent wall. And we know there's even hay. Like, there's just like, there's just so many other options. <laughs> that I feel like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think that this town is like, so we have, we know some of the jobs like car dealer, uh, horse uh, owner. Uh, auto parts store owner people people who work at the huge hospital so like a bunch of like nurses and uh like support staff for that giant hospital and then i guess everybody else is like a barn architect in jasper or a henchman there's there's a lot of oh yeah there's a lot of henching yeah i would say like a good 30 percent of the town is henchmen yeah I, I love the henchmen. They're all really doofy. I think my favorite is the one with the trucker hat and the suspenders who always feels oh, yeah. slow on the uptake. He just always feels like several clicks behind everyone else with whatever the operation happens to be. And he gets a really iconic scene, too. Yeah, he does. 
My husband pointed out that it's nice that the good guys and the bad guys both have a big guy. Because I think in a lot of movies, there would just be an evil fat person. But we have also a good fat person. Yeah, and they're not vilified or mocked, I think, for their fatness at any point. Like, it's not like their size is ever the butt of a joke. No. It's like, it's a diversity of bodies, again, because that's what the movie is. There's like a really tall guy, and there's like the... Jimmy is very, like, petite and wiry, and then there's some heavy fellas, and, like, there's, you know, John Doe from X being real gangly in there. Oh, and they, everybody keeps, like, it's a running joke that everybody thinks that Patrick Swayze should be bigger based on his reputation. Yeah. That's the best. That was, that was interesting, yeah. Also, Alex, you, um, you sent us a trailer for the movie. That, that you think yes. factors into strange expectations and the ultimate reception for the movie. And the runner in that trailer is every instance in the movie of someone telling Dalton they expected him to be larger to perform the job that he performs. All of those are in that trailer. I thought you'd be bigger. Opinions vary. He's not what you'd expect. I thought you'd be bigger. Does <laughs> <laughs> that line of work, I thought you'd be bigger. Gee, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it makes it feel like it, it should be more of like a, kind of like a slapstick vibe. It definitely feels more, the trailer is, shows that it's funny, but kind of a dumb funny that doesn't exist in the movie. It's more kind of weird funny. Like the funny comes from the odd situations the characters are in and the odd ways they react to it. Not that like, hey, this guy ain't so big. You know what I mean? Yeah, which, yeah. Is, which seems to be the big joke of the trailer. I'm, I bet part of the reason that the trailer was cut the way it was was because Patrick Swayze is, like, just coming off of Dirty Dancing. So he was being, like, perceived at that time for his dancing more than, like, you know, previously when he was, like, Red Dawn or something. Like, so I think there was a little bit of a, yeah, 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 he's the dancing guy, but he's tough. Come on, <laughs> come watch the movie. But it's so interesting because you have two dancey boys in the lead roles, because you've got Ben Gazzara as the as the um, villain. Ben Gazzara is having fun in this movie. Oh, he definitely is. Yeah, he's a peach. Oh, I did want to go back to that sex scene on the roof, and then it cuts to Ben Gazzara, and he rocks. He's in a rocking chair, and he his face rocks in and out of frame, and that's how you find out that he's watching them. And it's the weirdest shot I've seen in my life, and I'm obsessed with it. The movie makes a lot of choices i i don't i don't think roadhouse is haphazard again this comes back to sort of people saying like oh haha roadhouse is dumb but i like it anyway i don't really think it is i think all of the choices very much live in the same world and 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 the movie has a unified tone with the exception of when it starts to get really violent at the end but i think it's still mostly you know lives in the roadhouse that we've come to understand um, speaking of that trailer, there's one line in the movie that drives me crazy <laughs> that is taken out of context. When um, Dalton goes to the bar for the first time, one of the guys says, I hear you got balls big enough to come in a dump truck, but you don't look like much to me. And Dalton says... I don't think that's in the movie either. No, oh, that, that, that line is in oh, okay. the movie, yeah. And Dalton's response is, opinions vary. Which is such a crazy thing for a person. I must have to say. like just completely blocked that out. Like, oh, that's I, I love that exchange. But they they take the opinions very line out of context in the trailer, as if it's going to be this like iconic quotable thing. And instead, it's him responding to Frank. Frank's like, 
you know, I thought you'd be bigger. And then they cut to Dalton saying, opinions vary. And like the cut doesn't really match and the exchange doesn't really make sense. But it's interesting to think, based on that trailer, what they thought Roadhouse was, you know, Mm -hmm. making that trailer and and how they thought it would be received. Yeah, and I, I can see how audiences and critics at the time would have been disappointed if they were trying, if they were expecting something that was more of like a snarky bar fight movie. Yeah. Which is not what it is, you know? Yeah, they sell it with almost like a, like a Smokey and the Bandit tone or something, which is still so far from what Roadhouse is. Yeah, it, it really paints Dalton to be kind of like a sarcastic character, which he's, he really is. I, and I've listened to this also with the director's cut, and I think at a certain point he refers to him as like the Zen bouncer, which is, which is really what he is. He is yeah. the Zen bouncer. I think that, I think, you know, it, it, it's easy to laugh at the, the, information that Dalton is an NYU philosophy grad and it is it is funny like all of this stuff in Roadhouse is funny when I say that something is like you know not as silly as it sounds it's actually pretty good I still think all of it is funny but I think the movie is good anyway the fact that Dalton is a philosopher so quietly informs the character in every decision he makes and the way he lives his life I'm like oh, this is the life of a philosopher. Like, this is something that's well-considered. Like, he is, he is determined through, you know, extensive, you know, scholarly work that, like, this is the life he wants to live. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I guess I do kind of, like, this isn't the movie for it. It's almost like there should be a Roadhouse TV series that helps explain it a little bit, or, like, a novelization. But I would love to know how he came to the decision to be a world-famous bouncer. Like, what happened between NYU and the first time he ripped someone's throat out? Yeah, I mean, he. I think his exchange with Doc when they're out on their first proper date, when she's like, you know, has anyone ever gotten one over on you? Has anyone ever beaten you on, in a fight? And he's like, not really. And she says, why is that? And he says, well, you know, uh, people people who are out looking for trouble are rarely able, I'm fucking this up, but it's basically like people who are out looking for trouble are rarely able to trump the person who sees them coming or, or or sort of expects it. And so he, he sees himself performing, like performing this essential function of a person who sort of mitigates conflict and mischief by just sort of being this righteous dude. Does that make sense? And I feel like I'm scrambling. And I think in the, previous scene with them he says something about how no one ever wins any fight that like everybody loses every fight because if a fight has happened then then you've already kind of lost which is a beautiful thing to say but it's like it is i think that i think that is how he's sort of the narrative he tells himself but i guess like the the latter half of the movie is kind of picking at like or are you actually just really angry is this actually some stuff you need to work through (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I think that this is also where I, I I feel like, you know, with the character of Doc, I feel like they kind of set her up to be maybe something really multidimensional, and at the end, she just became, like, the woman screaming, no, don't fight, violence isn't the answer, which is just, like, <laughs> really? Like, you know, this guy is, like, fucking up the entire town, like, maybe we could, like, punch him in the face a few times, but also, like... <laughs> Isn't Dalton's whole thing, to your point, nobody wins a fight. So it's so interesting that his kind of 
the intensity of his feeling overtakes his, like, philosophical outlook. And then they have, like, Doc's character just like, no, but don't do it, which I just thought was just such a a misstep. It, It just seemed like to default to, like, woman begging the two guys not to fight, which I just wish they could have done something more interesting uh, with her for that. Yeah. Alex, I, I think you're you're speaking to, you know, something that I think about as being kind of like at the at the center of Roadhouse, which is this idea that his philosophy is at odds with his emotions. Because like when he talks about what a cooler does and what a bouncer does, the reason he's able to tell the guys to sort of be nice and to not think, take things too personally is just that this is above all else, a job. What people are saying to you is not a reflection of yourself. It's like a reflection of your function as a bouncer. And he just sort of lives in this very like philosophical and kind of utilitarian space. But he sees Brad Wesley as this person who is perpetrating injustice and making life so terrible for people in this town. And so his like consummate professionalism and sound philosophy is at odds with his desire to sort of defend people and you know, allow people to live a sort of sound Zen life in the way that he lives kind of a sound Zen life. I don't know. He's a philosophical guy, but he's also human. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard sometimes to reconcile a detached philosophy when someone keeps blowing up most places that you visit. Like, totally. So many places explode in this movie. The explosions are so good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Lots. Just, which, you know, I don't know how how much we've really ta- touched on uh, Wesley's character, Brad Wesley, but he's a really interesting guy. Like, he's a really interesting villain. Um, and I almost wish that we could have known just a little bit more about him. I think all we do know is that he comes from Chicago. He loves to blow things up. <laughs> he takes 10% of everybody's everything. Um, had a crush on Doc. And then also, and I thought this was so interesting because I don't remember it being, like, talked about by any character in the movie, but... He's definitely, like, a huge hunting enthusiast, Mm -hmm. and his entire house is filled to the brim with taxidermy. And there's, like, lots of, like, there's a whole wall of framed photos of him, like, posing with his kills. But it's not commented on, which I thought was such a great choice. That just, like, this guy is, like, definitely a predator through and through. And you can just tell that from his house, you know, which I thought was, like, a great detail about him as well. Yeah, he has that great line at the end. If you haven't seen this movie, the finale is staged in his trophy room. And he confronts Dalton and he says to him, you found my trophy room. The only thing that's missing is your ass. Which (laughs) Which is not the part you mount, but... uh, I mean, he he does whatever he wants. That's true. He's from Chicago. Yeah. I I also think it's interesting that the way he skims money off of all of the businesses in town is by creating this coalition that sort of purports to benevolence. It's like, oh, this is, we're we're propping up all of the businesses in town by joining together in one union, but in doing so, he just, like, takes a lot of their profits. Yeah, it's kind of like a mafia scheme he's got going for himself. Right, but under the guise of, like, good, you know, charitable business. But the town is worse than ever before. Yeah, right, right, right. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It is interesting because in some ways the movie is like a fight between two gentrifiers. Because yeah. you got the the city slicker from Chicago coming down and, and starting a, a business improvement district, essentially. Versus a guy who wants to clean up this bar and, like, make all of the bar staff wear matching polo shirts. 
I really love the kind of late 80, 80s, early 90s um, revamp the whole bar got, where I it had like kind it. of like very kind of art deco-y kind of like yeah. pavilion in the front type of thing. It was a very interesting choice. and It seems like exactly what would happen. It reminded me of a place that I went to in Bloomington, Indiana in the 90s called Miami Subs. And it was like a gyros place, but it was all like vaporwave flamingos that had nothing to do with Greek food. You know, Pitbull is an investor in Miami <laughs> I will say more than anything, the architecture of uh, the Double Deuce post-remodel reminds me most of the world's largest truck stop in Iowa. Oh, yeah. it, looks, it looks exactly the same and makes me homesick. Speaking of trucks, we haven't yet talked about the fact that a monster truck is almost like a character in itself in this movie. It's, it's a Chekhov's monster truck. It's wild. It's amazing. And it's, it, again, not really commented on. It just exists in this world. A guy just drives this monster truck. And it culminates in an incredible set piece that is so superfluous to the plot. But but basically, if you haven't seen Roadhouse before, we're going to spoil a lot of it. But the movie still is absolutely worth your time. Roadhouse, I think, is less about surprises than just vibes but um brad wesley uh has a henchman who drives a monster truck um and there is a local auto dealer who stands up to him doesn't want to give him his 10 percent cut of profits and so brad wesley for some reason gathers basically the entire community to watch his guy drive a monster truck through his showroom <laughs> and smash all of the cars and it's a crazy set piece. Like no one's no one's greenlighting this stuff now. Like when people look at budgets for films, they're like, "What can we cut?" And this is absolutely a line item that you cut. I looked into it, um, and the monster truck used for this scene is called Bigfoot Number Seven. It is a it is a renowned monster truck. And on the Bigfoot Number Seven webpage, they say that this scene cost five hundred thousand dollars as as a way of. Work. Every penny. Worth every penny, absolutely. Like, no one would do this now, but they uh, they spent $500,000 on this scene. They completely wrecked this showroom, so it's not like, you know, they can reset and do it again. So they just had seven cameras rolling, did a single take, all $500,000 just for this monster truck moment. And, that's, and it's all on the screen. It's great, and that's the magic of Roadhouse. I love that scene. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting, and it tells you so much about, like, this weird again, Twin Peaksy town that, you know, half of the town is, like, horrified that this man's livelihood has just been demolished in a matter of seconds. And then the other half of the town is, like, hooping and hopping and, like, they're just, like, having a great time. I feel like some people are drinking. Like, there's, like, this whole, like, group of people who live in this town who, like, have um, huge hair, are constantly wearing club wear and just having the time of their lives, like, all the time. Which I think was such an interesting choice. Also, they're like they're in they're in the double deuce at the beginning. They go to Brad Wesley's house, to like use the pool, and they go to this car dealership to watch a monster truck, and that's <laughs> basically all they do. It's just like what a crazy town. I don't know. I'd I, love to know more about the townspeople. I would love to also talk a little bit about the way that the, the those party people are very uh, gendered in their apparel. Like, the there's, like, almost, like, a sexual dimorphism. Like, the way you say, like, oh, certain bugs have different colorings. Like, because the men are dressed like uh, they're truckers or, like, extras in the bar scene from, uh, uh, whoa, Gina Davis, Susan Sarandon. Thelma and Louise. Thank you. From the, from the, the like, honky-tonk and Thelma and Louise. And then the girls are, like, people from like 
scenes set in Queens on the nanny. Like they're just in like these like tight bodycon outfits and like bustiers. It's like you did you not think you were coming here? Because you're not dressed for what here looks like. You're more dressed for what here is going to look like once we put in the like nineties like once it gets cleaned up, your outfit will make sense. But as it stands now, I don't know why you're wearing what you're wearing. Yeah, they did not kind of have a chat before going out together. Like, they, they didn't know what kind of vibe it was. A lot of interesting outfits in this movie, for sure. A lot of bolo ties and a lot of neon. And to your point, like, lots of, like, club wear on the women, even in daytime, which I thought was, again, like, just, these people are just spectacular. Like, I just love this town. Which brings me also to the character of Denise, who I thought was, like, very interesting and has, like, one of the most memorable dance scenes I think that I've ever seen on in a movie is Denise. Denise is the the woman in Brad's camp, not the waitress, right? Right. Okay. Carrie Ann is yeah. So there's Got it. there's it's really a world of men, but I feel like the women in this movie are like really unique. Denise is definitely like Denise. So Denise is like kind of um, like a mall character. He's she's like maybe dating Brad Wesley, but. Maybe not. We're, I don't know. She's kind of dating like the whole crew because she comes in with like a different guy. Yeah. On a different night. Yeah. And she is almost, she's treated like a possession of Brad's more than anything else. But it's also just like definitely a character with very clear motivation. Like she definitely has like wants, um, which I found like really, really interesting. Like she's, she's a, a very active character. Um, even for someone who's like so objectified by this movie, she has like, motivating factors which I thought was really interesting and then there's Carrie on the waitress who kind of you think is going to be like uh, Dalton's best friend throughout this and kind of just kind of disappears a little bit but also has a really great singing scene where I think she's actually singing I think that's the actual mm-hmm. actress's voice which is really fun I don't know I think they're really fun characters yeah I, I like them a lot I also like the scene where Carrie Ann brings Dalton breakfast yes and Dalton <laughs> So she shows up at the barn where Dalton is living, walks up the stairs, has a nice breakfast in a brown bag, and Dalton goes, oh, God, you know, like, how did you find me? I'm sleeping. And then he gets out of bed fully nude, and she just does, she has this incredible reaction shot where she's just gawking at Dalton's (laughs) ass. And I think that that is, that is Roadhouse's relationship to Patrick Swayze's ass. I think there is a, a, a sort of reverence um, and this, yeah. this comes back to the way that Alex uh, has talked about the way that the movie deals with men's bodies. Um, anyway, it's good. It's a good movie. I would recommend it. And then he like is like visibly grossed out by like the breakfast sandwich that she has brought. He like Very nicely. I, I thought that was so nice of her. It was like a nice <laughs> move of hers. But he like smells it. And he's like, I'm not putting this in my body. Have you seen my ass? Like, there's definitely <laughs> there's like an energy of like he's too good for a breakfast sandwich. <laughs> And I found that very interesting, too. Weird scene. It's just like a bunch of movies. The movie is like a bunch of scenes that make you go, yeah, that was weird. Why'd that happen? Huh. And then the next weird thing happens. You're like, wait, why'd that happen? Yeah. The way that both of you were talking about, you know, sort of partying and the way people wear party outfits during the day and the way that the monster truck scene is in its own way, kind of a, a, a carnival, a party. It makes me think more about the larger world building of Roadhouse, and maybe it's not just this town. Maybe the reality in which this movie exists is kind of like a party world. Maybe everyone 
parties a little more. And I think maybe in a in a fucking party world, the cooler is king. And that's and that's kind of what, what Roadhouse is. Yeah, I feel like this is gonna be like the world we live in post pandemic. Like I feel like summer <laughs> this summer is gonna just turn into like that kind of roadhouse world. Yeah, I Definitely. think that people will be partying harder than ever and then also more quick to conflict because we've all lost our social skills. So as long as we keep knives away from our partying ensembles, as long as our partying ensemble does not involve a knife, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, I like that knife boot, boot knife was very... Oh my God. That was another really interesting choice. Yeah, there's a, there's a scene where um, some of Brad Wesley's henchmen come into the bar and Dalton immediately eyes the leader of the pack as having a knife protruding from his right boot. And you get a close-up and the blade glistens. <laughs> and so Dalton's whole strategy is like, we've got to get the boot off this guy. He, he twists his foot like right away. He just knew, he just knew what the guy was going to do. It's interesting in... Like slasher movies, knives are read as a uh, as a phallic symbol, and that the reason that so many slashers have like a stabbing weapon as like their main implement is like a desire to assert their masculinity on these like coeds who are partying. But the way that wounds are almost more important, like knives are cool, but not caring that you got stabbed is cooler. So there's almost like a in the way that we're sexualizing Patrick Swayze, we're also a little bit feminizing him because he is the one being penetrated and it's his uh, implacability in the in the face of getting stabbed that we are most horned up by. 100%, yeah. And I think the scene that we've mentioned earlier uh, with Doc kind of stapling his wound shut, was that was very much, I think, like kind of... It, it felt like a subtext in that scene where it was just like a lot of shots of that wound... It's a pretty gaping wound, and she closes it up for him, and he doesn't even flinch. And it, it was just like, what a choice. You know what I mean? Like, there was just a lot a lot to unpack in <laughs> one little scene. I never would guess that the uh, episode of our podcast that would feel most like a film theory seminar would be the Roadhouse episode, but I am I'm, I'm very happy with this conversation. That's the magic of Roadhouse. One more body thing I want to try and figure out. In the scene where Patrick Swayze is trying to get Doc to leave and like like almost like dragging him out of an x-ray room, the background are x-rays of abdominal cavities where I think it's a I think it's it's either the large intestine or it might be even the colon is like bariumed out. So there's just like these huge like snake like white spaces in the x-rays and I couldn't stop staring at them. At just like these colons being presented. <laughs> that's that's a whole that's a whole essay. What's going on there? Yeah, and I think like one of the most um, now that I'm thinking of just like wounds and who inflicts them and who wears the wounds and who displays the wound. But I think the most prominent scar that we see in the whole movie is the one that Sam Elliott's character has like like really low on his hip, and it was inflicted by a woman. He says like yeah. a like a former lover cut him up. Um, there's also like that's that's a really unique detail I think to have in like a movie about like guys beating people up. He's wounded because of a woman who did him wrong. You know what I mean? Like it, it was such again like what a choice. You know. I also think the way that particular scene is shot, Sam Elliott is pulling his pants down 
at a rate and in, in such an intimate way that you almost think he's going to like hang brain. I like, yeah. I, I fully thought, <laughs> I thought, I thought, you know, our man Wade Garrett, the, the most renowned of coolers, but the one who is aging rapidly was going to show us his wiener. Just in the middle of a restaurant, too, just like this little <laughs> diner. <laughs> a diner where he's been waltzing, but while waltzing, so intimately touching the back of Doc's neck. Yeah, I thought they had good chemistry. That yeah. was a, I found that scene to be, it worked. It really, it was almost romantic. I mean, even though he's kind of like being a little bit sleazy because it's his friend's girl. But yeah, that they had great chemistry, I thought. Mm-hmm. Then maybe that's just Sam Elliott. Maybe that's just the effect he has. I, I, I agree they have better chemistry. I also think the way, I think some of her best performance moments in the movie are in that scene. I think there's a very interesting way that she is in control of the situation, despite his being kind of sleazy. She, it, it never seems like, I don't know, he's like taking her for too much of a ride. She feels one step ahead of Wade kind of at every turn. Yeah, it was very much like, hey, we're all adults here. We all know what's going on. And kind of, um, I think like at the end when she parts, like they have like a very platonic flirtation where he almost feels like, I don't know, like he really knows like where he stands and that he's like the older person here, like much older than she is. I think like one of them blows the other one a kiss, like as they part. And it was just like so well done. I felt like like the three of them together in those kind of like diner um, breakfast scenes had like a really natural kind of chemistry that I found, I found those scenes really, really endearing. I thought they worked really well. It was like almost courtly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect word for it. Yeah. And you don't see a lot of that. Like I like that the movie was able to kind of like quiet down a little bit. Um, and again, never boring. It was never like a lull, but it, it was, it was still interesting to watch, but it was like a nice kind of break in the party world <laughs> that we were used to, you know? Totally. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Not to veer too hard, but I think Roadhouse is so defined by its one-liners. And I think I may have said at the beginning of this, I don't really like watching movies ironically. I, I think I think the, like, so bad it's good thing rarely works for me. But I really think Roadhouse is, like, very funny and peculiar. And there are so many one-liners in this movie that made me laugh, not... Not because they're, like, stupid, but because they're so well-placed. Um, mm-hmm. Were there any that jumped out at you, Bethy, especially as a mm-hmm. new a new roadhouser? I mean, I noticed the lines, but it was, like, the movie was so much more, like, shapes and bodies and vibes for me that, like, totally. I do think it could very much work on mute. I don't know. I'm trying to remember some of, like, the classic lines. I, they They just didn't register for me as much as all of the, like gentleman ass i guess oh yeah maybe maybe for me just revisiting i was really taking note of all of this stuff but like uh jeff healy introducing dalton at the bar they're like uh, you know what's dalton's story and he says the story is you fuck with him and you seal your fate <laughs> like what a what a character introduction what a way for someone else in the movie to tell you what you're in for i just was asking if he was like nice or not <laughs> you know <laughs> your fate's fucking sealed <laughs> is he like a liquor distributor or like why is he here right now <laughs> he's like someone's cousin i don't he's just not drinking anything or talking to anyone at this bar where the whole thing is that people drink and talk so i'm asking why he's here yeah coffee is a big thing for him oh yeah, yeah. Very twins peaks. let it or unleaded <laughs> yeah. that one stuck with me yeah, I love I love all of that. I also think that the 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 way that uh, 
Harrington, Rowdy Harrington is his name, directs the crowds. A lot of the scenes in the movie have a ton of background acting and, and, and really large groups of people. And it gives the movie just, just such a sense of production value and excitement that you don't get without those big rooms of people. And I think that stuff's really good. I think the fight choreography in the movie is honestly really entertaining. Every punch is visceral and made me kind of laugh. Yeah, there was, like, to, to your point about the background actors, there's, like, a scene right in the beginning where we're getting to know the double deuce. We see that, like, you know, oh, man, this band has to perform behind chicken wire because this place is, like, so mm-hmm. crazy. And, you know, uh, Jeff Healy's character is like, I- I'm going to take a break, guys. Um, and some guy's like, you're here to play, so play. Or And he throws, like, a beer bottle at the chicken wire. There's this one dude in the like at the table behind him, and he's wearing, like, a black T-shirt and smoking a cigarette. And he just makes his face, like, this guy and it's just like so like he really fully commits that he just like I, I watched this movie twice over the weekend just to get like you know reacquainted um both times I saw that scene I just like my eye points completely just right to this dude with his like impeccable background acting just full face journey it was it was great yeah I almost think you could watch this movie and do a companion episode where you just highlight for listeners here are two dozen moments in the movie to watch this particular person <laughs> at this particular minute because they're they're doing incredible work like i there were so many examples when I was watching it where I was like, "Oh my God, but the two that really jump out at me is there's a scene early in the movie where there's a woman sitting at the double deuce with her partner, and her partner tells another bar goer that Basically, he can he can like kiss her breasts if yes. he pays twenty dollars, and he says really and makes like <laughs> the goofiest fucking face you've ever seen, and it's this weird medium close up. I'll never unsee him saying really. And then there's a moment where one of Brad Wesley's henchmen, my favorite, who I mentioned earlier, who wears a trucker hat and suspenders. When he runs out at the end to confront Dalton, he's, like, running as fast as he can, holding his gun straight up in the air, and no one else is doing that. Um, There are lots of great tiny moments in Roadhouse that could fly by, because there are so many people on screen at any given time. I was was taken by the scene when the the henchmen are, are sent to disrupt the liquor delivery, and everybody is the first time you really see like Wade Garrett mix it up in a fight. Swayze is fighting like three of the guys at the same time, and he starts to like lose the fight, and that's when Sam Elliott comes in. But one of the one of the henchmen doesn't engage Swayze at all. He just actually starts smashing the beer bottles. Like guys, we yeah. came here for a job to do. We're not here to He's fight. Focused. Yeah. We are here to to smash these bottles. And of course, he gets thrown onto the broken bottles later. So like hoisted by his own petard but it's his fate was incredible. sealed that's <laughs> true he sealed his fate yeah there's another like and i just like this is a, such a small moment but i think it really um shows how how much care was put into making this movie when dalton goes to get like kind of he goes to get like a like a, a shitty car because he knows he's this whole town is gonna like fuck up his car because that's what happens in all these towns to these like mythical coolers so he goes to buy a car um when we're introduced to the guy at the dealership, he is, like, playing around with a little TV set, listening to, I think, like, the Patty Duke show, and is about to take a bite of a sandwich. And just, like, this actor's, like, weird mannerisms and weird facial expressions while about to take a bite of his sandwich is just, like, so beautifully done and just, like, so 
weird and like lovely. It's just like a really, really tiny scene, but it was so, it didn't have to be there, but I am so glad that it was because it just like immersed us in this like weird town with these like weird people going about their lives. I just like, I love that little moment. It was great. Or like this scene where we first meet Red, who runs the auto parts or like the, the hardware store. Uh, and he has this like whole monologue about how he misses his ugly wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, red. <laughs> that though, that stuff is like that's like Twin Peaks. That's like almost you know Pete Martell dialogue, but obviously mm-hmm. you know you don't have the amazing Jack Nance performance. Yeah, yeah, I like that this movie really takes its time uh, with its world building and like letting us kind of like meet the town, and so like when buildings start blowing up, we kind of, like, have an opinion about it. We're like, oh, Red with his ugly wife who left him for an even uglier person, like, didn't deserve to have his whole business blown up. But, you know, I really like that the that the movie was so careful about that because, like, it didn't treat any character as just, like, you know, disposable. It really took its time. Even with the henchmen, like, they're all so different and, like, weird in their own ways, you know? Right. And even, like, Emmett, who, you know, is is leasing the barn space to Dalton, is only charging him rent to appease the Presbyterian church. It's like... <laughs> I, I, just, I don't think I understood that at all. I was just like, what is he... Why would they get mad? I don't... What, what, was, it, was it just, like, a tithing thing? Like, he needs to be collecting money so that he can then give money to the church? I, I think it's that. Or... Or is it a joke that, like, if I don't charge you rent, people will think we're lovers? Uh, I don't know. Oh. That didn't occur to me, but maybe. I don't know. Yeah, all of all of those characters, there is something eminently memorable about them. Really quick, I have to add the Presbyterian Church into my map of Jasper, Missouri. <laughs> yes. Yeah, is it, like, a very powerful Presbyterian, like, group that, like also runs the town like do they also skim another 10 percent? like what is going on in this that's town? that's roadhouse too once dalton is dealt with brad wesley he's coming he's after coming the presbyterian church i i would i would kill for a roadhouse trilogy we'll never get it obviously but there was a sequel movie where dalton is murdered and his son becomes a bouncer in order to investigate that murder those vultures trying to capitalize on the roadhouse name this was great. <laughs> Alex, thanks so much for joining us. I think that is, I can't imagine there is a much more thoughtful podcast discussing Roadhouse, but I could be wrong. Yeah. And you know what? We didn't even touch upon the throat ripping, which I think is good because I, I want, I want people to experience that uh, without, without a lot of baggage or, you know, I, I want them to, to really have like a very pure experience when they see that scene. Pure, pure viscera. <laughs> yeah. But it is another moment of uh, wound being Yannick. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 quite a wound. <laughs> it's, it's a sacred wound. Quite a wound. Um Alex, if if you wanted people to find you online after listening to this episode, where where would you direct them? Um or would Twitter you? is probably the well, I mean, number one, don't follow me, but if you have to, um at so Alex goes on Twitter is probably where I spend too much time. So Alex Goes was the place where I saw the words, Waluigi has big dick energy a couple of years ago. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's one, of, one of, I think, my defining moments on Twitter was just reading that at work and laughing uh, a lot. Yeah, and I wasn't wrong. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. I stand by that. Bethy, where, where, where can you be found on, on the internet? I'm at BethyBSQU on 
Twitter and at Bethy Squires on Instagram. Thomas, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, handsome underscore pal. And the show can be found at movie bar pod on Twitter. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at movie bar underscore pod on Instagram. And you guys are on Spotify and... I mean, I guess if you're, if someone's listening to this, they're already listening to it, but. Yes, this is, this is made, this is the first time we've done this, but if you are listening to the show, if you're one of, one of those and you're enjoying it, a rating is helpful, a subscription is helpful, doesn't cost you anything, doesn't take you any time. It takes a little time, not a lot. Yeah, yeah, if it takes too much time, don't worry about it. But it's fun to do. <laughs> All right, thanks so much, Bethy. Do you have a special sign-off tonight? Hmm. Hmm. Oh. Uh, Ben Gazzara, two things I wanted to say before we leave on Ben Gazzara. Oh, great. One, at one point he's dressed just like Belloc in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that's fun for me. And then at another point, he throws a spear. So that's cool. Good night. Good night. Night. Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell, and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. Mm-hmm.